This week on the Southern Pride Philosophy Podcast, we discuss our hatred for the World Cup, is football under attack, and we have Chris Sinclair from the Free Burma Rangers. All that and more on this episode of the Southern Fraud Philosophy Podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fraud Philosophy Podcast, where it's two guys take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy, and you, the listener, are getting a degree in common sense. We are broadcasting from the Busted Knuckle Studio right here in beautiful downtown historic Concord, North Carolina. I'll be your host, Biggin, and how about you? We've got a great show lined up for you, as always. But before I begin, let me introduce you to the second half of this flaky biscuit. We're talking about the pride of Anderson, South Carolina, but most of you probably know him best as the Silver Tongue one, 2016's Honorable Mention World Cup Champion of the Year, the inventor of the redneck egg roll. Give it up on old Mike number one. It's Mojo! Welcome back to the Southern Fry Philosophy Podcast. Yeah, we've been gone a while. But here we are. It's been a minute. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at Southern Fry Philosophy. You can also go to our website at Southern Fry Philosophy dot com. Easy, huh? easy for me to say, mm-hmm. right? Um, also, also go to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Look up SFP Radio or Southern Fry Philosophy. You'll be able to find us there. Um, please like our epi- uh, like our episodes, uh, subscribe, uh, share it. All kinds of other good stuff. You can also go to Twitter's and Instagram at SFP Radio. You can also go to the YouTube at youtube.com forward slash SFP Radio. And what's that Patreon link again? Uh, uh, Patreon.com forward slash SFP Radio. I think we're going to go for how long we can go without getting an actual sponsor and see if we can it's make coming a contest. Soon. It's coming soon. <laughs> Anyway, we appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Uh, also, uh, hello to our new listeners in Europe. Yes. We've got a, quite a few European listeners. And, uh, Spain? Yeah. Uh, of course, the Netherlands. Of yeah, course, I guess uh, Tori must be uh, uh, graffitiing the bridges or something over there. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> of Madison County. <laughs> it's getting nuts. Yeah, and also like a couple um, odd ones. I want to say shout out to our listeners in Hotlanta. All of a sudden, we've got we've got mm. some more folks listening in Hotlanta. And then uh, I saw one the other day. I was like, "Where in the world? Who is that?" Well, Derek Grayson must be spread, spreading the word down in Hotlanta. Oh for yeah, us. I forgot about old yeah. Derek. Um, and in Harrison, Arkansas. So hey, mm. how about you? Well, I did, I did put a couple of the stickers up in Arkansas when I was getting gas the last time I was there. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> Uh, and Alexandria, Virginia. I feel like that should be like The Walking Dead. Like, well, Alexandria, uh, Virginia probably has some CIA, so probably Russian collusion uh, investigation oh, yeah. going on here. That's probably legitimate. So yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you like I ask you every week, Mojo. How you been doing? Man, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's deep down in the south, hot, humid, and hazy, but it is still brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean. Every day you walk outside, you need to take a shower after you're already taking a shower. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, my dad moved from Florida to get away from this, and now like I look at the, you know, humidity, and yeah. it's worse here than. But it at least was you don't have to worry about alligators here, Cliff. You're right about that. So that's that's one positive direction. But yeah, it's. Uh, oh man, I mean, I, I'm not complaining because I'd rather be sweaty. Than in a ski parka. Really? Yeah, I can't. I can't stand the cold. We've talked about this so many times. There's only so many clothes that I can take off. But right. I, man, I can pile them on in the winter. Right, right. But you know, yeah. it's 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 nice sitting outside at night, mm. drinking a beer with my neighbors, mm-hmm. uh, with a little tiki torch going to keep the mosquitoes away from me because mm-hmm. I'm highly allergic. Are you really? 
Well, I, I highly allergic. Well, I wouldn't say maybe highly allergic. Maybe I'm just say I'm. They're highly attracted to me. Yeah, I got you. Like people will keep me outside as mosquito bait. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Uh, I will say that uh, at the at the house we have been using the um, the wonderful company called the Mosquito Authority. Mm. Um, they've been doing a really good job um, coming out and, you know, just doing their magic. Care. Yeah. I mean, like we before they started coming out, we would just sit on the porch, get ate up. Yeah. But now, thanks to the Mosquito Authority, uh, they are taking care of it and we don't have to worry about <laughs> there, it. Well, there you so, go. Appreciate those guys. Um, so how you be doing? Because I know we've been away for a while. Hey, buddy. You're talking about the heat. Guess what? You got to run when you have hot weather. Mm. The air conditioner, mm. it, which is great until they break, and then you got to get a new one. Right. So that ain't went, cheap. I'm not going to say, hey, Killingsworth, um, <laughs> if you want to throw me back some money, that'd be great because, man, I just gave you a ton. You had to, you had to, uh, you had to fake an injury for Aflac to get paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it costs a ton for a three ton. Yeah, but. I'll tell you that. So um, we did that. So um, I, during the break, we had a little bit of a break trying to get stuff put together. Well, it's summer, you know. It's summertime. Yeah, you got, you got all kids, kinds of stuff. Kids things, going on. You got travels. Meetings, travels. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of nuts. Um, but one of the things, the news stories that did break was these kids that were in Thailand, mm. the, the soccer team going through the cave, and then, you know, they get stuck. Um, yeah, um, I've been spelunking once, and yeah. uh, that was once. <laughs> so, this, uh, I think spelunking might take a, a commercial dive down for a little mm-hmm. while. Not No puns intended, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'll be going no cave cave dwelling anytime soon. But here's here's the question that I was thinking about is you know, you are a parent. Um your kid gets stuck in the cave. What do you do? Like what like do you want them to be the first one out of the cave? Do you mm-hmm. want them to be in the middle of the cave? Do you want them to be in the back? Like where where as a father if you were in that situation and they say, "Hey, we've got to get your kid out." Where do you want them in that lineup? I mean, obviously you want them first, mm-hmm. but they also may have a protocol too, where they may be taking kids based on, you know, age or mm-hmm. you know weight. They may be taking all females first. You know, there there has to be There's a protocol. Injuries so, or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, when it comes to something like that, I mean, you have to kind of trust the process a little right. bit. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't hold a gun to someone's head, <laughs> but I'm just saying that you have to kind of trust the process. Yeah. I hope because obviously. I mean, they called in some big names. I mean, yeah. you had Elon Musk trying to develop a, a submarine, submarine yep. but they had, you know, I think the guy who actually uh, um, developed the plan for the rescue is actually a National Guard guy from hmm. from from here. So, uh, right down the road, actually. So, but you hear the you hear the news: um, former Navy SEAL dies in the rescue hmm. mission. Right. And do you want your kid out? Do you want them to be the first one out? Like I mean, that's yeah, I mean crazy. you do, you like, do. Imagine. But yeah, and the hats off to that guy who I, I he's a Thai Navy SEAL. Um, unfortunately, I won't try to pronounce his name, sure, because um, we'll butcher it. But uh, hats off. I mean, there's that's one of those good news stories that um, can't be emphasized enough. And obviously, the the soccer team they actually pay tribute to him mm. um, after they got out. After they spent a day or two in recovery in the hospital, they actually pay tribute to this mm. guy because he. He sacrificed his life to bring them oxygen. Yeah. So, wow. I, I mean, that's that's ultimate self sacrifice, right there. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about self sacrificing later in the yeah, show. Absolutely. So, 
Um, but anyway, I was just wondering, like your perspective as a parent. Like, Man, you want you want your kid to be first, <laughs> right. and I, I'm crazy enough to do something stupid too. So <laughs> yeah, my kid might be first. Um, all right. So and then the World Cup happened, and then evidently everywhere in the world stopped except for the U.S. because we don't care about the World Cup. There's like what 213 countries in the world, and one of them didn't give two <laughs> craps about it. And that was us. <laughs> I mean, you you occasionally saw the people, but right, you know, that were supporting. I know one of the guys from our church actually went there. Yeah. I mean, he actually spent... He wanted to go check it out. Yeah, I mean, which is cool. I mean, I wouldn't mind checking something like that off my bucket list. But, right. But... It wouldn't be on my bucket yeah, list. Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, soccer, a.k.a. football or footsie is mm-hmm. UK. <laughs> is we, is we it don't really care. footsie? Yeah. Mm. We don't carry it, man. Mm-hmm. We, 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 could, we could care less about it. So here's why I think that we don't care. Because it, it takes so stinking long to score. All right. And then at the end of it, it goes down in a tie. Yeah, and I mean, it's, I just I don't. Well, get it. that's, that's also a reason why I don't think hockey has had the massive massive lore. And I like, mm-hmm. I actually like hockey because I like seeing the people fight. But right. I like the hockey and hockey and soccer are very similar as far as strategy and right. and et cetera. Just obviously two There's different a things. Net but and a puck. but I, I don't know why soccer has never been our sport because I mean it is big all over the world. Yeah. And it, what amazes me is, is I would usually. For lunch every day, you know, it worked. So I'd head out to a restaurant, and mm-hmm. um, it's on. Yeah. And people are like, oh, my God, you know, oh, yeah, so-and-so just scored. Yeah. Now, it took them 20 you, minutes to score. But. I bet you money you don't even know where Croatia is. Mm-mm. I bet you money you don't even know where Singal is. No, you're right. But they're pulling for them. Like, boy, it's their fa- favorite collegiate team that they, <laughs> you know, their alma mater they graduated from. Yeah, I don't. I could not get that. Mm-mm. No, I'm not going to. Senegal, by the way, not single. Senegal, but I mean, I didn't it, even know. <laughs> I'm saying people are like diehard, and yeah. I understand sometimes you pull for underdogs, right? I, sure. I wouldn't even realize that these t- this team wasn't an underdog. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, so the hats off to the winners. I have no clue who they were, but it I, was France. Oh, that's right, because they burned the streets down. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah good job. Go. So. Um, now your city's more stinky. That's right. So, <laughs> so that's right because obviously burning cities down is not just an American thing when we are sports teams win. Yeah. It's actually an international thing. Yeah, I just I can't I can't do soccer. I just, right. And, and and I know there's people that listen to the show or at least say that they listen to the show that love soccer, but I just can't do it. Like especially when they start, you know, pushing the soccer agenda. Like, oh, you don't want to play football, you want to play soccer because everybody loves soccer. And everybody gets a trophy in soccer. But, you know, that I mean, I understand that mm-hmm. soccer is popular. I mean, you have sure. uh, people in the Middle East buying soccer jerseys yeah. for, you know, the Manchester United or Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, so I, Handler. Chelsea. <laughs> not that woman. <laughs> anyway, you know, so I understand the allure and appeal, but I just I can't get with it. Yeah. And It's like the it. other day I finally watched my first NASCAR race and yeah. probably – 15, 20 years. Well, here's what I told my wife. I said, hey, I'm going to actually sit down and watch this final game for soccer, the World Cup match. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it's at no, 4 in the not. morning. And I was like, oh, heck no. No, I'm not going to do that. You are nuts. I was like, well, there's next year. Right. So if right. it gets closer, I might. Well, at least you can at least watch CNN's coverage of France burning. Yeah. So that was good. Go. That was good. All right. So uh, time for some wacky news. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. It's making I 
don't mean to make light of this uh, story, but a father of 43 children uh, was found beaten in his West Side home in Chicago. A uh, 63-year-old father of 43 was found beaten to death on Sunday afternoon in his home in Chicago. 43. 43. Four, yeah. Let me read. Four, three. Four and a three, not four or three. It's 43 children. That's like it's, uh, it's like three dozen and a half dozen. And I mean, one. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. That's almost the NFL. Um, <laughs> the body of John Harrington, known as Nicholas, was discovered with head trauma in his upstairs apartment um, in the Thousand Block North Avenue of South Austin neighborhood in Chicago. Um, <laughs> he was the nicest man you'd ever want to meet. I don't get it. All this killing is so senseless, and now they're getting targeted. They're targeting the elderly. Um, hey, buddy, I guess he was... I guess he was uh, one of the nicest men. Says Harrington was a longtime resident there and well known in the neighborhood. I bet he was. The the key keywords there is well known in the neighborhood. I bet he was. Hey, buddy, forty three kids. A mur- have they found the murder? No, no, they are it, still. You know what? You find a baby mama. That's it. Got to be a baby mama. They don't know about the other forty two children. And you're like, mm. well, Mr. Johnny, we hate to hear you passing, but man, you got around. You forty three. Mm. I mean, that's. I mean that's a Wilt Chamberlain. Mm. What's the, what do you think the record is? I'm kind of curious on how many. What the record as far is as father guy, I have yeah, no 43. clue. Forty three. Man, that must have made Christmas horrible. I mean, yeah. What do you? you I can't mean, have yeah, nothing. you can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't have a Christmas present. Just get them all gift cards like McDonald's. Forty three kids. I mean, there's no room in your in your house for stockings. You yeah, but also imagine uh, imagine their oldest kids. What? Full, probably 43, 44. Mm-hmm. Meet your and, brother. And meet your brother. He's like, you know, six months old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Mm. I mean, I mean, if there's multiple moms, they could be like all, they could all be 43. Right. But hey, yeah. buddy, good night. Um, so uh, this is a story. Um, so the University of North Carolina, Larry Fedora, says the game of football is under attack. Mm. I don't know if you saw this or not, not. but um, he was met during the ACC kickoff event, and he started kind of rambling a little bit, saying that our game is under attack. I fear the game will be pushed so far that we don't even know it. We won't even recognize it in 10 years. And here's the quote. And if it does, our country will go down too. Um, Mm. (laughs) After questioning the evidence of CTE in football, uh, he backtracked and said that basically he's afraid that if we don't uh, play football, that um, that we won't develop people for the military. <laughs> so that's how our country is going to go down. Well, this guy's a rocket surgeon. I mean, he is from the University of North Carolina, a school that we both you and I do not like. You, I mean, UNC. Okay, hold on. Yeah. When's the last good team UNC's ever had as far in as football? Football. football. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I didn't even know. Did. I didn't realize they had a football team. <laughs> For years. <laughs> so, well, I will say, does Duke have a football team? Actually, they've gotten pretty good. Have they? Actually, actually they have. They just built a whole new stadium. And I think it seats like 300 people now. So. Yeah, I mean, I love how uh, Duke is just copying the footsteps of Kentucky. That's great. Um, in football? In football. Yeah, oh. we, I mean, we're, we are. I mean, I know, I, mean, I know Kentucky went to the, the Belk Bowl. Okay. I mean, and Bokes is about to go out of business, <laughs> but yeah, whatever. <laughs> this is a big year for Kentucky football. We've got to um, – Got to put up or shut up at this point. That's right. They may go to the uh, Coles Bowl. Sure. <laughs> uh, so here's the here's a really good story. I don't know if you saw this or not. A CEO surprises new employee with a car after he walks all night to get to work. Uh, Walter Carr, you are um, our SFP 
hero of of the minute because we've got another guy coming on the show yeah. that's more of a, a hero. But Walter Carr, uh, he's not a quitter. He experienced car trouble the night before he was supposed to start his new job, but that didn't let it stop him. Nope, he walked all night. He was a college student from Alabama, and uh, he was a recent hire of Bell Hops Moving, uh, a company It was 20 miles from his home. He tried to crank the car up at midnight, didn't start, so he started hiking. He walked 20 miles, uh, got there about 4 a.m., and then uh, his boss said, hey, you can take a break. You walked all the way to work for 20 miles. And he said, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep, uh, I want to keep working. So the CEO actually found, like heard the story and actually gave him a brand new car. So he drove down uh, Tuesday and the CEO gave him his car. So that was kind of a nice thing. The kids got some, some moxie for, for walking yeah, 20 miles. Yeah. Uh, there was a GoFundMe page. I think it's at like $32,000 now Wow. Uh, for the kids' new car. So man, way to go, man. That's you talk about work ethic, that boy. Yeah, and that's that's inspiring. Yeah, I mean, and that's I wouldn't. I've done never it. had to walk that far to work. I but, wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but no, that's that's someone who appreciates the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he was an, he wasn't expecting to be rewarded like that. But yeah, you know, there's still good people out there. Yeah, and dude just wanted to do his job, and then. Man, he got um he got the car and dude starts breaking down. So no, no doubt. Really, that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. I mean, really proud of the kid. That's right. Good job. All right. So one of the this is not a wacky news story, but one of the things that I absolutely love is your secondhand embarrassment. Mm. And uh, we talked about that before. How much you hate people, hate watching people in really bad situations. I love it. I think it's funny, but you absolutely hate it. So. Um, there's a woman. Do you ever name drop? Do you ever like, hey, I know this guy or I know yeah, that guy? Every, yeah, every once in a while. Rarely, but every once in a while. <laughs> this lady, she shows up, and I, I'll sell It's amazing when I go walk into a place, I'm like, yeah, big and sent me. They're like, who? Yeah, like I mean, who? Because I do that all the time. Um, this, this woman is just asking for some help, but she's doing it at a city council meeting, and <laughs> we're going we're gonna to post this on our site so you can watch. Now, I will say, like, God bless her. She's she's trying. And she's probably not 100% there. But uh, there's a line in there that just owns me more than anything. So I'm going to play this. Also, watch Pop Pop in the back because if I live that old, that's going to be me in the background. <laughs> so um, anyway, mm. so here's this video clip of a woman just, just wanting some help. And by gosh, she's doing some name dropping. So here we go. All right, now, this is a city council meeting. Oh, those are the best. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Lisa Ann White Whitmer Wagman. Hey, buddy. I just moved here because I'm getting a divorce, and it's not final till September 18th. My husband will not give me any money, not one penny. The lawyer won't help me. My husband won't help me. My dad, Marlon <laughs> Lee Whitmer, he's a minister. Won't help me. My stepmother won't help me. My mother passed away seven years ago. Well, she can't. And my dad and Annie Hockhausen. She's just dropping names. They wrote at Vera French that they both are my parents. Annie is my stepmom. I'm not quite sure why I'm here or what I'm doing. But there's a reason. My lawyer is Justin Title. 
Justin. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I saw him on that commercial one. I'm moving down to Texas soon. Here we go. To help the... I'm making something up. Children there in Texas. <laughs> I'm a very loving parent. Very, very, very loving parent. I have a 20-year-old daughter. She's going to college at St. Ambrose this fall. She's in Muscatine College right now. Her name's Brianna Elizabeth. (laughs) Look her up. And she... Your face, though. ...is not helping me because (laughs) she's 20. She's scared. She doesn't want her parents to separate or divorce. Wait for it. Ma'am, we're discussing the rezoning for the parents <laughs> on that. For what? We're discussing the rezoning on 53rd. Uh, well, I live on 63rd. Uh, Again, we're here to hear comments about the rezoning. Wait, wait. Well, I don't like Facebook, <laughs> and I don't this, like, I like the, the internet because I can't find a job. Oh, the man. library blocked my password. <laughs> now tell me, does that make any sense to you? Ma'am, we're not here to discuss your personal life. I'm sorry. Do you have any comments about the rezoning? No, sir. Have Thank a good you. day. Thank you. <laughs> Next. Oh, my God. How, how, did you, how did you come across this? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do have to give props to um, Allison. She sent it to my wife, and then my oh, wife sent gosh. it over to me. Um, All we can say is bless her heart. Bless her heart. I mean, man, we're here to talk about the rezoning. <laughs> was that Davenport, <laughs> Iowa? Uh, I don't know where it was at, but oh, my gosh. Does that not? I don't like the internet. And Pop Pop in the back lost it at that point. Hey, I think he lost his teeth. He was, <laughs> he was trying so hard not to oh, laugh. Oh, man. Oh my gosh! Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so that I wanted to bring that up because I like to see your face when you struggle with that. Um, do, you, do you have anything else? Yeah, Florida man with no arms arrested on suspicion of stabbing a tourist. <laughs> Police arrested a Florida man with no arms after he allegedly stabbed a tourist in Miami Beach the other night. It's uh, just a flesh wound. <laughs> John Crenshaw, he's trying to get my hand. John Crenshaw, 46, is known as the uh, known locally for detailed works of art using his feet. Sure. Uh, the same extremities police said he used to jam a pair of scissors into the 22-year-old. Oh, Caesar Coronado. According to the Miami Herald, Crenshaw, who's homeless, told Miami Beach police that he had been lying down when Coronado attacked him first, punching him in the head. Uh, like punching him in the head? Yeah, I guess. The, yeah. But his co- feet? I don't know, no, the, the guy with no arms. Oh, the other uh, Both Coronado and his friend, 22-year-old Cindy Barrientos, told investigators that oh. they were just asking for directions when Crenshaw suddenly stabbed Coronado and walked off. Hiya! <laughs> it must be pretty talented holding those scissors and stabbing him in the arm up top. So. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, yeah, so he uh, Coronado went to the hospital for some little flesh wound, and, uh, yeah, so the charge has been brought up. Holy cow. That's amazing. Last one I got. Tourists feared, uh, feared, uh, tourists feared shark attack after drifting seven miles what? out to sea on a float for 21 <laughs> hours. 
<laughs> Tell me. So he's, he has to have fallen asleep. She. She has, yeah. has to have fallen asleep. Yeah. Uh, this is actually off the island of Crete near Greece. Um, <laughs> the tourists have been feared dead and uh, was floating on her little, uh, her little, uh, what you call it, the little, the raft, float, little yeah, floaty thing. Yeah, floaty mm-hmm. things, like a little float thing. You laugh and get your son. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, son in your sea. And, yeah, well, anyway, Olga Kuldo. Olga. Olga and her husband, Oleg. And Oleg. her daughter, Yulia. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, they were, uh, the the family raised the alarm when they could not find the uh, the mother or wife mm-hmm. for the next day. So they started searching. And the they next fe- day? The next day. I guess I guess Olga has a, a history of just wandering off or something. But <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Olga described her uh, her ordeal. I felt things touching my legs. I kept assuring myself it was just seaweed. What? It was truly horrible at night. All sorts of thoughts crossed my mind. Yeah. So anyway, they found her the next day. <laughs> they found her the next day. Um, uh, boat boat rescued her, and yeah, that was all she wrote. Um. Have you seen mom? <laughs> no, I think she probably went back to the hotel, she, right? No, yeah. Um, There's a picture of her right here uh, uh, clinging to her float. It looks like she may actually have be in the nude. <laughs> oh, so you're, hmm. Either she's, she's not even on the float. She's just like on the side of it. Yeah, I guess she was trying to get her kicks in. <laughs> so, she's yeah. got to get her steps in for the week. <laughs> oh, buddy. Anyway, I'm luckily we're glad Olga uh, it was safe. But yeah, she she evidently had a there was a large storm that passed through too. So she was <laughs> enduring the uh, yeah what uh, some of the greatest sea movies ever. She's probably you know kind of incur- encountering that. So what type of medicine? I bet it's that same medicine that Roseanne Barr was saying that she was on. Yeah, yeah. That that like I mean it had to have knocked her out. Well, ironically, she was actually found by Seven. a plane patrolling the yeah. EU borders for migrants. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yep. Hey, buddy. Um, where where'd mom go? <laughs> Yeah, she's she's back at the hotel. Well, I hope chilling. you have your insurance paid up, Dad. <laughs> Next day, have you seen Mom? Is she come back down for breakfast? No, no, I think she's good. I don't know where she went. <laughs> I mean, the next day, I would have yeah. been like twenty minutes. I'd be like, send the crew. I can't send even get everybody. five minutes alone and my wife bugging and snot <laughs> out of me. You know, so I, I can't imagine. She probably yeah. thought I'd run off with some other yeah, woman. Yeah, that's you know? that was the thing I was gonna I was gonna ask about. Ooh. Did uh, she go go hang out with uh, the guy the pool boy? Uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, at, at no point will you ever see me a news story with Biggin falls asleep on a raft in the ocean and wakes up seven miles from sea. Never. No. Never. No, I agree with that. I absolutely. Yeah. The only time that could happen is if I've had too much bourbon and I fall over the side of the cruise ship. But Or goodness. your wife pushes you off. Or, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, definitely an option. All right. Yeah. So um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back— yeah, we're going to have Chris Sinclair. He is with Free Burma Rangers. Uh, he's creating a documentary based off the uh, Dave Eubanks and his family and what they're doing in Burma. Uh, the continuous civil war has been going on there since, uh, I think, World War II, I think. Mm. So, uh, yeah, he, he's there. He's he's back with some, uh, food, uh, some footage, and he's mm. cr- trying to create a documentary. So he will be on next, Free Burma Rangers. I just – I get him and – and uh, Kevin Eubanks confused. So just want to make sure. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy. does kind of sound like a game show host. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hey guys, it's me, Bigging. Summer is made for grilling and chilling, and you too can be the baddest mother smoker on the block using our favorite award-winning smoking sauce. Bad Mother Smokers is perfect match for that favorite meat, veggies, or even that secret ingredient in a pot of chili. Check out badmothersmokers.com to place your order, and if you want to be a barbecue pit master like Mojo, enter the promo code MOJO for 10% off your order. Visit badmothersmokers.com or the sponsor section of our website at southernfriedphilosophy.com. All right, welcome back to the uh, Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Tonight we have Chris Sinclair. Chris is a director um, of a little f- documentary coming up that, that I saw on Facebook. And I actually shared it with all you guys. So I don't think it's little, man. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's not little. But, well, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to over, overrate it just yet until we see it. But no, it's, it seems like a, a good, a good documentary. This is kind of um, off of very similar to some other Facebook pages that I've. I have uh, come across, but anyway, the the movie is called uh, uh, Free Burma Rangers. You can find the uh, website uh, at fbrmovie.com. That's fbrmovie.com. Um, they're doing some fundraising fundraising right now to finish up the editing and um, sound on the movie and things like, things like that. Uh, Chris is a, a world traveling director um, by way of photojournalism. He spent eight years in Asia and as an overseas correspondent. Chris holds an MA in visual communication from Ohio University. Um, he's been he's also filmed for a variety of media outlets: BBC, CNN, uh, Vox Media, Salvation Army, and more. Um, this is his first feature length uh, documentary. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, where do we begin? Um, <laughs> so, I, I I see this movie and or see this clip for uh, your fundraising, and man, what it's well shot. Number one, you know, it's right. not, it's not yeah. like it's uh, some iPhone uh, camera, but it, it brings tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, I'm sure other people have different responses, but uh, for a family to basically sacrifice the, the comforts of modern living um, and relatively uh, no, you know, not in a war zone, you yeah. know, they, they go over to uh, where their calling is and uh, basically fight for people that, don't even speak the same language, same culture, and it, they, they believe it's God's call. So kind of give us a little snippet of um, how you came, to, I guess, to be working on this project and, and yeah, where, where this all spires from. Yeah, uh, Sorry, where did it start? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I, uh, I was actually learning Mandarin on the border of uh, Burma in China, uh, right out of college, uh, kind of one of those just go see the world two-year college experiences. And um, while I was there, I was curious about what was happening on the border. Fast forward three years, I've uh, spent a couple of years at newspapers uh, learning the craft of photojournalism in the States, out in Colorado and Utah. And I wanted to dive into a personal project, and, and Burma was curious, and I still had friends in that part of the world. So I called a few of them up. Uh, found FBR Free Burma Rangers online and cold emailed them and said, Hey, I want to go inside. They said, come on. And that was my first encounter in 2004. I, I spent two weeks with uh, Dave Eubank. We, um, uh, went into Burma, um, kind of extra legally. <laughs> and, um, that's, that's his term. Um, and, uh, spent time watching, uh, you know, free Burma Rangers conduct relief, uh, missions, uh, relief 
relief team missions, uh, primarily helping with um, medical and um, uh, medical treatment for people who uh, not so much at that time uh, frontline, you know, uh, trauma wounds uh, and that kind of thing, um, but more just daily care where there's an absence of uh, health care. Uh, and then also doing uh, recons of the Burma Army. Uh, I mean, they would use the SALUTE acronym that people in the military learn um, to gather information on uh, size, location, that sort of thing, uh, and and send those out as reports. Um, and so over the years, uh, spending time in Asia, um, I slowly uh, spent more and more time with them, and it culminated in uh, they were the subject of my master's project, thesis project, oh, wow. cool. uh, for my master's. And what I wanted to focus on was uh, the experiences of Burmese youth who grow up in a, a part of Burma that doesn't have really an education system or they have to run so frequently away from violence that they don't have a consistent education. And uh, so why are they coming to FBR? What are their motivations? Um, so I ended up calling that project a frontline education because they, they learned leadership skills, they interacted with, when they came to FBR and they, they go through this two-month two training, uh, they learned skills that uh, they otherwise wouldn't learn, ranging from leadership, how to use a compass, how to swim. A lot of them don't know how to swim. Um, uh, how to use a GPS, um, how to do medical triage and sutures, uh, a host of different things. And um, But they're also exposed to other ethnic groups that they don't spend time with because of these trainings. They bring tons of ethnic groups together, and it builds unity. They're all kind of united for a common cause, and they each have to sort out what their their own uh, calling or pursuit is. Um, you know, and Dave encourages them to look higher than any uh, national aspirations or, or personal ambitions, um, but to something greater that, that would unite them. So, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, the, the discussion continued and he said, uh, I think, you know, after this time of kind of staying on the down low, uh, in terms of his exposure in the press, uh, he was always directing the camera towards, uh, the ethnic people he was serving and said, do stories about them. But, you know, one of the, one of the goals of FBR is to get the news out, to advocate for these people, and for the longest time, you know, the world's longest-running civil war, uh, it's gone. It's gone unnoticed from the world, uh, and so that's part of why they do these recons and gather video and photo footage, uh, you know, close to the enemy, is to show an accurate report of what is actually happening on the mm -hmm. ground, get evidence of war crimes, and um, and so he said, you know, that that's our intent. So if I can be a part of that now. Uh, and you want to be a part of that, then let's let's make a, vi a film together. Um, and so, you know, with his permission and endorsement, I, I began filming uh, for a feature documentary. But this is my first feature length, and so I had no clue kind of – I didn't have a plan in place. I just started filming. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so that, yeah, it's kind of a long answer, but that's, that's kind of how I started uh, with this. Um, but now I've got a team around me of close friends who said, hey, we'll help you in the areas that you're weak and you can help in the areas that you're strong and, and we'll do this thing together. So it's just been great to get to this point. 
let's uh, let's back up and actually kind of maybe fill in our audience who may not be aware. Um, and I, the only reason I'm aware is because of the Food Network, <laughs> our Discovery Channel. <laughs> but, but you know, Burma, aka Myanmar, and or Myanmar is kind of fill us in what's going on there. The civil war. I know that the the new government or the government has kind of flipped the switch a little bit. They've been you know guilty of genocidal purges and things like that over the over a few years or decades, I guess. So, kind of give us a little uh, wrap up of uh, what's been you know happening in Burma. Uh, this led to this point of this massive civil war. Yeah. So after World War II, uh, the British were occupying Burma, and they, uh, when they decided to exit and give Burma back over to the Burmans to rule, um, there was kind of a power vacuum, and Aung San, who was a general who spoke English and was trained in Japan, he was he and several leaders were assassinated while they were in a meeting to plan out the future of the, of the country. And in that power vacuum, the military took over, and they have ruled the country for in various forms under various names for 60 years. It's considered the world's longest-running civil war. Wow. And so um, Aung San Suu Kyi, the daughter of this general who was assassinated, um, she grew up you know, largely without her father, and came to be the symbol uh, of a country for yearning for freedom and lived under house arrest for over a decade. She was elected, uh, I don't know if it was president or prime minister, she won an election, her party, the National Leadership, uh, NLD, the National Leadership for Democracy. They won a landslide election, I think back in the 90s, uh, but it wasn't honored and the generals continued to rule. And there have been uprisings. You might remember the Saffron Revolution where uh, thousands of monks led a protest in the streets. And it led to another round of military uh, oppression and and gunning people down in the streets. And that was, um, I think, in the 2000s. And then she was released from house arrest and was elected. And so currently we've got uh, her party in power. But remarkably, she has been silent um, on the part of ethnic autonomy and freedom and human rights. Um, it was it was something that she preached strongly along, uh, t- you know, during her, her time under house arrest. But now that she's um, now that her party's in power and she has the opportunity to speak on behalf of uh, of the ethnic experience and, and kind of initiate reconciliation that has just not happened. And so it's provided for a uh, uh, you know, it, it in that vacuum of leadership has allowed the the military, which I should say and clarify, uh, in the con- in Myanmar's current constitution, they they don't they the military operates autonomously from the government, so it's like two hmm. systems parallel. They don't there's not a, a systems of checks and balances over the military. They can do whatever they want, and so what you've seen with the Rohingya on the Bangladesh border um, with stateless people, they've, they've just been the subject of, of genocide. So, and, and FBR's tried to address that on all fronts. As you know, their, their work's kind of expanded to other countries as well. So the, the bulk of their, their work and their focus is in Burma, but they're, they're beginning to take some of their leaders uh, that they've trained to both teach and, and perform relief uh, overseas. 
So I should say overseas <laughs> from Myanmar um, to the Middle East as well. So politicians saying one thing and doing the exact opposite, that's not just an American thing, just making sure. <laughs> yeah, not unique. They just call it different things. In fact, just the other day I was like, you know, they call the military in Burma a junta. What, you know, what? I don't even know. We can do a word study on when the word junta should be used and not used. But, um, mm. yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of different variations and forms of go. It would, you know. To give you a perspective on Burma, um, imagine the Native American landscape pre-colonial in North America. That's what still exists in modern Burma. There's a dozen, over 50 unique tribes with their own language, with their own territory. And, you know, it's just been a situation where the outside powers came in, lines were drawn, and and there's never been a, a semblance of, you know, peace. Hmm. Uh, experienced, and so that's that's just gone on, you know, as long as modern modern day Burma uh, has existed. And I, I'll just go ahead and clarify now that Burma is the old name that uh, the the British kind of gave, and so in the English West, uh, the word Burma was was kind of how it was known and listed and spoken of. Myanmar was the general's attempt to restore more of the the name of the native land. And so it's it's somewhat of a political statement if you still call it Burma, even though they've officially changed the country name to Myanmar. Okay. So it just depends on kind of who you're talking to and what, what's the context. But most you know most reporters and and, and press honor the the new name and, and call it Myanmar. Hey Chris, this is Justin. Um, hey, aka the pastor <laughs> sitting at the table. Um, gotcha. <laughs> I uh, when I watched the um, clip that Brandon sent me, um, I think the question that I had was, "What about Dave's faith drove him to this action?" Um, can you talk a little bit about that? What you experienced while you were hanging out with him and his family, and um, what what was it about his faith in God, his faith in Jesus that that led him to believe that this was his calling, that this was what God was. Uh, what God really desired for him and his family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just a little background on him. He's kind of a unique <laughs> unique character. That's pretty obvious at this point. But um, he grew up in Thailand. His first language is Thai, uh, on the border of, of Burma uh, and in different places, um, which we kind of go into a lot, a lot of the backstory uh, in the film. Um, but he quickly uh, left Thailand after high school, went to A&M, uh, was in Corps Cadets. From there, went to uh, Ranger School Selection and was in the 2nd Ranger Battalion out of Fort Lewis. He ended up as a Special Forces Detachment Commander. He was just breaking Army records, just hard man, and climbing peaks in the Northwest, you know, ice axe and helmet type stuff. And cap, through cap, it cap all, he realized that he was – he came to the conviction that he was called to be something more than just a soldier. And he didn't mm-hmm. know what that looked like. So he left the Army with the rank of major after eight years and went to Fuller Seminary. And it was at Fuller Seminary that some of the – some of this kind of crystallized for him, uh, solidified. But he still didn't know what it looked like or how to express what the unique background that he felt God had given him. And so uh, he actually got a – 
phone call one day. Uh, I won't go in, I don't want to give a whole lot of spoilers. Um, sure. Some of this is online if you want to dig around, but I want you to enjoy the film too. So, um, the a phone call led to uh, ultimately led to what you now see as you know the Free Burma Rangers. But it started small, and there were several accidents along the way that that led to uh, it. Kind of connected those dots, mm-hmm. um, and so. But that's that's kind of generally that's the the core question was God I I want to do your will I want to honor you with the gifts that I have um, I want to do something more and he just didn't know what it looked like but he was asking those honest questions and wasn't afraid to um, you know face whatever those answers were and yeah. and follow through. Yeah, I think I think as a, another question that came up when I was watching the um, uh, the the video was, and and also listening to you talk about Dave's kind of testimony and his story, um, you know, war usually isn't the answer, and it doesn't seem like Dave has the mindset that more war is the the answer. Um, and the more I read about right. the more I read about him and what they're doing, that's really not the. It doesn't feel like that's the vision. It doesn't feel like that's the that's the theory behind what they're doing. Um, but they're in a war zone, and so there's this tension. Can you can you right. speak to that that tension a little bit? And did you see any of that in Dave, or did you guys have any of those conversations about the tension between, hey, we want to be a peaceful people that are bringing healing, and we want to bring, um, you know, peace to a very war torn area. Um, can you do, do you have anything to say towards that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, the word mi- mercenary comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of confusion when you see that. Like the trailer's not meant to explain everything; it's meant to open up questions and build intrigue. Um, mm-hmm. We'll probably make a different trailer once the film's actually finished. Um, uh, he's not a mercenary. <laughs> Let's just clear the air. <laughs> Um, cause that's what it, it feels like. I mean, the trailer, like I walked away almost having this, this thought that maybe he is a mercenary, but then I'm reading about right. him and it, that's not what it sounds like at right. all. Right. Well, the, you know, the, the, that's the biggest misconception is what are you doing fighting a war, you know, as a Christian, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and we try and clear that up in the, in the film, you know, and give space for that to develop. Um, he stresses, at every turn, we're not there to fight, hmm. but we are we are armed. We're not pacifists. We recognize that we're going into a war zone to try and help people. You think we're going to go without a gun? No yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, conventional religious people have a problem with that. Uh, with they love his faith, they don't like the fact that he carries a gun. Hmm. Uh, conventional nonprofit humanitarian people don't like the fact that he preaches so much. No one knows what to make of him. <laughs> um, he describes it though as this: um, God gave me gifts and abilities. He uses the Eric Little analogy from um, *Chariots of Fire*. Uh, you know, I feel God's pleasure when I when I run. That's God made me fast. Mm. Um, and so. Uh, you know, he feels very strongly that God made him fast in this way. And so if he can be uh, the tip of the spear of relief that connects the dot between 
where most aid organizations are willing to go, which is usually five miles away from wherever the bombs are dropping. Um, and the people who are caught in conflict, then he wants to fill that gap. Mm. Um, and how those dots get connected in the film is, is really extraordinary because uh, to speak for part of Karen's story, his wife, you know, how did you end up with this guy? <laughs> and part of the answer, you know, part of the answer was, uh, you know, step one, do I like this guy? Yes. <laughs> step two, you know, we have this opportunity to move somewhere. Okay. Uh, that feels right. We checked and prayed about it. You know, step three, well, we're having kids now. What do we do? Well, there's other kids where we're going. Okay, step four, you know, and you yeah. work down the line where, you know, the onlooker who just discovers the story would say, you are a crazy, insane, irresponsible woman. <laughs> uh, and but if you if you look at how they moved through it, how they cognitively worked through the process and you look at the love that they have for the local people um, and try to understand the ethic that they bring to their work, um, that it's very holistic. It's very centered on, you know, looking at what the families have in terms of options and material. And they try and make the best with what they have, uh, to, to minister to them and, and bring hope and love. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of an extraordinary to see it unfold, not in the very headline way, which has been done a lot of times and characterized in different ways from different media, yeah. Um, but to really give space for them to to you know tell give the why of of, of what they do and to really yeah. see the ins and outs of what it looks like on a day to day basis, uh, I, following them on the trail. I just have one more question, and then I think I'm I'll be done. <laughs> but uh, I'm a pastor. I have a lot of questions. Um, what it what did it how did it form your faith? Being there and walking Me? with them. Yeah, you. Oh yeah, you know, um, it, it it convicted and it humbled me quite a bit. Uh, it made me—I won't reveal the scene—but there's um, there were certain things that happened that caused me to say, uh, "Lord, you called me to this story. How committed uh, my my commitment to to tell this story was was tested a few times." Uh, you know, to the point where I had to be willing to lay my life down as well mm-hmm. for this story. Um, and so th- this has shaped me in several ways. You know, I think you sit you sit down and you you listen and you have these conversations with with people like this family. And the, the cumulative effect is you you <laughs> you learn some mantra for go to phrases like never be led by comfort or fear. Mm. <laughs> What is that? How does that manifest itself? There, you know, he says they're lousy guides. Um, is that going to preach on Sunday? That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so throughout the film, you, you know, we're going to kind of reveal these lessons uh, in a way. We're going to give space to kind of understand what his inner, you know, thought process is, how his spirit is moved, and then we'll see how that gets acted on and, and what the you know, stakes are and what the potential consequences are or the, you know, the potential benefits as well. Mm. Um, how that gets weighed and negotiated, um, in a conflict zone, as you, as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's, you know, when the stakes are high and you've got justice on one side and mercy on the other, and then Micah six, eight calls us to both. Well, how do you do that when you have to kind of choose one at one time? Can you do both in, yeah. in, 
in an extraordinary circumstance. Um, and most of us aren't there, but we can get a picture of, of how that gets tested. And, and I think that's the, that's the desire for this film is that there will be takeaways for, you know, the suburban mom or the corporate dad, uh, that the fear is that we would come away with a film where people go scratch their heads. Yeah, that, yeah, they're unique. That's interesting. Um, not me though. You know, we really want to help bring audiences to see themselves in the place of, um, both the people serving and the people being served. Yeah. For most of us, it's just, that's kind of the hope. Most of us, it's just a philosophy that we argue about, you know, like we argue about on Facebook thread (laughs) and, for Dave and his family and, and now for you and your story, it's a reality that uh, how do we, how do we deal with the tension between justice and mercy? Are they different? You know, because mm-hmm. you, when you're put in that situation, you have to actually figure out if they're, you know, what is God actually saying? What does he really mean? Mm-hmm. Do we have to mm-hmm. choose between the two or are we, or is there a middle ground somewhere? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one, one facing evil often, which is, you know, the film is basically how did, how did these people of faith face evil mm-hmm. uh, and lead other people to do it? Another one that was kind of brought to the forefront was what's the difference between hate and vengeance? Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, justice and vengeance. Yeah. And, and um, you know, there's, there are certain ing- ingredients to that. And, and uh, you know, one opens a door to reconciliation and, and retains love. Another, uh, as you know, is fueled by complete hate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, I don't want to give away too much, but there's, this is the sort these are the sorts of, uh, questions that, you know, we're excited to bring to audiences that, you know, that it's just a kind of a tip of the iceberg in terms of, uh, yeah. moral conflict, but also moral clarity <laughs> for, for an American. So. I pray like the Lord's prayer, deliver me from evil. And this story seems to laugh at that, that prayer as an American, you know, like instead Dave says, mm-hmm. lead me, lead me to the gates of hell. And let me like beat down the gates of hell. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's such a, it's a convicting thing as somebody that lives in a place of, oftentimes live in, lives in a place of comfort, you know? Um, it is very convicting to think, I don't know, Dave's faith is, is leading him in in a direction that I, blows my mind. Well, obviously he's uniquely gifted for it. Yeah, I mean, I mean... Or maybe he's just... <laughs> He's just willing to hear where God is actually calling all of us, <laughs> yeah, you know? Like, yeah. he's calling all of us to beat on the gates of hell. But, you know, it, it, it's... It, it mystifies me because, I mean, obviously Dave is, is probably a very small sect of guys who have listened to this call to go into war zones. I mean, another group is the Lions of Kandahar, where um, these guys are going up against ISIS. Kurdistan, uh, Sudan, I saw on the page, Sudan. These are some of the most heinous acts of against other human beings. I mean, I, we, we're not going to get into the graphic exploits of these monsters, but for people to go in there with their faith calling them to these areas, I, I can't imagine that. You're talking about comfort in, this, in our Western culture. I mean, I, can, I can't give you the, anything that I've gone through that would be, you know, this exposing 
to go into a war zone and, yeah. and lose right. comfort, night's sleep and lack of food and sweating my rear end off. And I mean, yeah. there's nothing that I could come up with that would compare to that. Instead, it's like we're having conversations about being persecuted because we can't say Merry Christmas. Or have a, or have a Starbucks cup that's red, <laughs> yeah. It just, it's, it's laughable. I once had a really bad splinter one time that I, you know, I was wondering if God was testing me on that. Because I couldn't get it out, and it was like a day and a half, and I thought that was yeah. it. Um, so this is big, and I, I kind of want to diverge from the faith stuff because that's not important. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> it's the most important. But I do want to ask, like, what's <laughs> what's a typical like day like? You know, when you're filming and and having to carry around all this stuff, like, what's a typical day for the family? Typical day for the family would be uh, devotionals on a on a solar powered tablet in the morning. Uh, kids. You know, making hot drinks, uh, breakfast, shaving at the river. Uh, you know, others are tending to fires and preparing breakfast. There's usually a group breakfast. And then just after daybreak, there is a, uh, you know, get on, do the foot march and go to the next, wherever the next location is. And sometimes it takes two or three weeks of camping just to get to a place where they've heard that there is action. Uh, and not that they seek action. I just mean... Where's their activity, I should say. Sure. Um, where people are, are, you know, running from violence or uh, where recent attacks happen that they want to go report on. They, they want to go where the greatest need is. And so that's usually where they send teams. Mm. Um, and I should, I should clarify, they don't, they don't travel in this huge, huge troves, uh, you know, across the jungles, uh, you know, of Burma. Typically, it's they, they train five man relief teams. Let me see if I can name them. One's a medic. One's a like a, a good life club kids counselor um, takes care of kids uh, who are experiencing trauma. Uh, one's a photographer, uh, another videographer, and one's security. And the five the five of them kind of that that's the five man role of these relief teams that are deployed all over different conflict areas of Burma. Um, and so, but, you know, following Dave around, um, you know, it, it really depends. Sometimes there's a pre-dawn departure and you get close to a, a you know, Burma Army camp where, you, you know, the next day you're crossing a Burma Army patrolled trail and they have laid landmines all around and you have to mm. send out, you know, uh, guys to, you know, check and make the coast, make sure the coast is clear and then cross. So I did a lot of uh, filming uh, in Burma, I, did, I have yet to go to the Middle East. This is all footage that we're including that was shot by a variety of different videographers, but mostly uh, some of Dave's uh, leader, ethnic leaders from Burma. They were able to get passports and visas, and they've never been out of Burma in their life, most of them. Hmm. Uh, so this is their first time to leave their own country, land you know, in Mosul, and start doing triage with people fleeing ISIS. It's just, it's one of the more extraordinary components to the story that hasn't really gotten picked up uh, in all the different press coverage that's happened so far is that his veteran leaders uh, know what oppression is like and they have a special bond with the people who are also going through oppression. And so when they get together and, and train, there's just something really special that happens. Um, and so their contribution should be noted. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, it just kind of varies uh, each day, but a lot of hiking, in, in the Middle East, you know, everything's flat. So it's, you know, how armored can you make your vehicle? Mm. 
So you guys are dealing with landmines. I'm worried about stepping on a snake outside. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Snakes are pets in Burma. The kids have, have had plenty of them. No, sir. Monkeys, too. I ain't dealing with snake, Satan's little hand puppet. I ain't dealing with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I hate snakes. Um, so tell us about the movie. Where are we at? Um, what What do you need from from us and our listeners? Uh, and and where can we go to to help out? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I, you know, the first thing I've that comes to mind is it, it ringing in my ears. Dave Eubank always prays about everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no pat answer. It's like an opportunity comes up. First thing to pray. There's no. You know, we sh- you know, should we go there or shouldn't we go there? Let's look at the schedule first. So I'd say uh, I'd extend that to the listeners and say the first thing we need you to do is pray that this film gets done um, mm-hmm. and that the right story gets told uh, that God wants to tell. Um, we've been cracking at this for, you know, my I started filming in 2013. Oh, wow. Um, and we've had uh, a lot of hills and valleys and mountain mountaintop experiences along the way to try and get this, uh, this film done. Um, and we're, we've never been so close so we can Mm. kind of taste it and we're excited now, especially with the response that we've seen on, uh, over the last week online, we set an initial goal of 50,000. And I think today we're about to celebrate, you know, 25, we're at the halfway mark, 25,000 has come in in less than a week. So it's been, yeah, it's been kind of exploded online. It's it, people are sharing it left and right. Um, it's we're just super thrilled. Um, so we're hoping to get there. We need uh, you know we need the remainder. The minimum to finish the film is fifty, and that'll you know we cover the co- the we outline the costs and the needs and where that goes to on the website. Um, but we kind of use the the car analogy. There's the fifty grand gets you a Corolla. 75 gets you the the avalon with rims and <laughs> i think 100 or 200 i don't know what we're listing right now i think it's 200 50 100 and 200 200 is the lexus so right. it just makes the film that much more better if, if we have more resources to to hire you know better composer better color sure but um yeah so those are those are some of the more monetary needs but but really we could just use a lot of uh prayer and uh sharing sharing uh yeah. you know i can't tell you how big of a difference the the 25 dollar the five dollar or even the share or the like uh has made a difference in in you know, seeing so many people respond from all corners of the globe really uh you know the most humbling thing is to see that we've had a lot of donors who are burmese overseas burmese uh, resettled refugees themselves oh, wow. um and not only resettled refugees that have, have given to this story uh, but have helped translate a lot of the footage that we have as well. Hmm. I mean, how do you find a, an ethnic language speaker of this remote tribe in, in Dallas? <laughs> <laughs> well, call your local refugee office. <laughs> somebody has somebody speaks that language. It's just amazing to see uh, you know the contributions that they've made to the film as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is this, you know for our listeners, this is not a movie that you know they're trying to produce and win some Academy Awards or some type of, you know, benchmark award for, for their industry. I mean, these, this is a mission call. This is to, to bring light to uh, what's happening in Burma and also the other parts of the world that, you know, we can't imagine the magnitude. You know, we, we think, you know, we have a natural disaster here and we have 30,000 people that need 
resettling temporarily while we dry the streets out. There's one and a half million people right now in Burma oh, wow. that, that that don't have a place to sleep tonight. Hmm. They're, they're, you know, whatever. So I, I, I implore everyone to, to keep these guys on the, in their prayers um, to, like I said, go to their Facebook page. And that what, What's your Facebook page again? Uh, just in, enter into Facebook, uh, uh, Free Burma Ranger, the film. Just go to that, yeah, yeah, go to that trailer, that teaser trailer, and share it, and uh, it'll kind of put them towards their website for fundraising. Yeah, and we'll put it on our show notes as well, so if, if you want to, we'll link it out there as well. Awesome. Well, thank Much you. Much appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. We appreciate you joining us tonight. Any other, any other websites or social, social media that you'd like to promote um, just to get, kind of get the word out? Um, you know, one of the big, stru- yeah, uh, I'd say go to freeburmarangers.org. Uh, one of the things that we've wanted to do with this project is not have donors take away from what they would give to people who are providing the actual relief, um, but give, uh, you know, be above and beyond what you would normally give to the mm-hmm. film. Um, so if you do uh, want to give to Free Burma Rangers, uh, give to them. Uh, if you feel led to give to the film uh we we'd love for you to visit the website and get in touch with us um it's blown us away how how many uh uh, suggestions of different ways that people want to help have come in over contacting our team directly so if you have an idea or uh you know a way that you want to get involved or have a question please don't hesitate to reach out through the website fbrmovie.com Thanks, Chris. We appreciate you uh, coming on tonight, and uh, we'll make sure we add all, like I said, uh, we'll add all this to our show notes, our social media. Um, obviously, finishing the the movie is a vehicle for better fundraising, also for <laughs> for the uh, Rangers. So we'll, we'd love to help you complete that. And uh, just, I'm, we're glad you're part of the show tonight. I'm glad you're a part of uh, helping get the film out there, and thanks so much for the time bringing light to this uh, important story and, and uh, situation. Yeah, uh, side note, um, I have no uh, uh, war experience or triage experience, but I can cook. So if you need me to come over there and cook, I will. I was a, she- I was a chef for 20 years. So. I can run Good away food from- is always in demand. <laughs> <laughs> I can run away from snakes, and I can do voiceover work if you need all right so, so um, thank you guys so much yeah all right so that was that was chris sinclair from free, free burma. burma rangers man i'm telling you what that was a um a, a video clip that we watched at, mm-hmm. at the house and normally i say hey i'm having this guy on the show and my wife's like eh, eh, whatever but then she, we were like both kind of tearing up a little bit right. on that and she was like wow that's really cool so yeah you know i'm not to segue away from this story, but mm-hmm. I've I've had the privilege to meet several other people who have been called into conflict zones, you know, mm-hmm. and and follow their ministries along. And you know, we I, I remember growing up in church in Sunday mm-hmm. school, and you know, you'd have, uh, every so often when I get to sit in the big church, you know, <laughs> you'd have you'd have a brother and sister so and so from mm-hmm. Honduras or yeah. Nicaragua coming in and, you know, they come do their annual fundraising mm-hmm. to help yeah. them out for the year. The Lottie Moon offering. Yeah. <laughs> and they have relatively relatively comfortable lives compared to yeah. to Dave Eubanks and these other people. Right. It's we, it's amazing. I mean it's tough. I mean don't get me wrong, I wouldn't sign up for that one either. Yeah. But these, but these yeah. guys are going in and, and like Justin said, like 
banging on the gates of hell and getting these people out and showing freedom. Yeah, that's the reason why I don't ask God where I need to be right now because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't get that call. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to put you somewhere that you're extremely uncomfortable. Won't be able to eat a hot square. Uh, danger of leeches, snakes, and bullets. Right. Well, that's why you're doing the podcast, right? And I'll be like, God, I don't want to go to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just it's a, it's very humbling to yeah. be able to talk to. I mean. Even though this guy is the director, Chris, mm-hmm. for him to actually go to the war zone and yeah. and and like him like like he said, risk his life to to capture film to show the story, and yeah. that's the important part is showing yeah. the story because sure. how many of these stories have taken place that have never been recorded? Yeah, yeah, that we will never know lives lost and lives spent in service to 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 helping others. Yeah, and um, that I think that's. I think that's amazing yeah. and very humbling. So no doubt, you know that, that Bible verse, uh, John fifteen thirteen, comes to mind. Um, uh, greater love has no one than this that they lay down his own life for his friends. To 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 lay down the lives for people that you'll never know, never you know have that not the privilege of having like a cup of coffee with them to kind of get to know them, mm-hmm. just random strangers, but. Yeah. You're ultimately showing them God's love and grace, and laying you know possibly laying down your life and yeah. for them, and that's just that's living out the gospel, man. Yeah, no so, doubt. No doubt. Anyway, we appreciate you joining us as always. Yeah. Um, make sure you check out the show notes for the websites, uh, just in case you don't know. But you can also find us on the SouthernFryPhilosophy.com. Yep. Facebook at Southern Fry Philosophy, the Twitters and Instagram, which we. I mean, one of these days. One of these days we'll get active. But anyway, you still can follow us there at yep. SFP Radio. Um, YouTube.com forward slash SFP Radio. Also, our Patreon link at SFP, uh, Patreon.com forward slash SFP Radio. There you go. So Somewhere we, around. and also, hey, please go to Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, subscribe, give us a like, share uh, your favorite episodes. Also, we share our episodes every week on Facebook. So if you can, just hit that little share button on the bottom right and share that episode. And uh, we'll see you next time (laughs) at our next podcast. (laughs) Which will be four months from now. And as always, keep it rolling.